and welcome to mini episode 152 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have six spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 4th of November, 2021. And story number one comes from Belinda. My younger brother is one of the least spiritual people I've ever met. A yaoi could chase him out of the bush and he'd be googling to see what sort of monkey it was. Definitely 100% not psychic. However, when he was a small child, he had an imaginary friend called Red-Haired Harry III. My parents thought this was a funny name and laughed it off. My brother was adamant that he was Red-Haired Harry III. He would get angry if we didn't say his full name. He was tall, had a red beard and had blue eyes. It was oddly specific, but kids are weird like that. After a while, he stopped playing with his imaginary friend and everybody moved on. Fast forward 20 years. I was in an abusive relationship and was deeply unhappy. That all changed when I got into my honours year and had to do an intensive unit, which was run on a different university campus to the one that I usually went to. I was just settling in for the first lecture when this tall, gorgeous, red-headed, bearded, blue-eyed man walked in. I texted my friend and joked that my future husband was in the room. We chatted and hung out on our lunch break, which is when I found out that his name was Harry. After the intensive was over, we didn't contact each other, but meeting Harry was the jolt that I needed to help me escape from the abusive ex. I had no intention of getting into another relationship, I just wanted to enjoy my freedom, my work and study. At the next intensive unit six months later, I met Prince Harry again, only now we were both single. Sparks flew and we began dating. It all felt so comfortable and supportive, it was amazing and so precious. It felt like it was meant to be. The first time I told my mum about him, she gasped and started freaking out. I couldn't understand what the matter was, until she managed to get out. Red-haired Harry. He's red-haired Harry the third. He is called Harry. He has red hair, a ginger beard, blue eyes and is just under six foot tall. He was my third serious boyfriend. He fits every description my brother made about his imaginary friend. It's one of those things where you really have to wonder how on earth this kind of synchronicity occurs. How could what seemed like an oddly specific name of a three-year-old's imaginary friend somehow be correct 20 years later? Harry is the same age as me, so he would have been about seven or eight when my brother was most actively playing with red-haired Harry III, and he lived about six hours' drive away from us. There was no way my brother could have picked up these observations based on somehow meeting Harry himself. Yes, I married him, and my mum told the whole story during her speech at our wedding, much to my brother's chagrin. I think we've had a kid's story once before, where a kid has saw somebody or had an imaginary friend that ended up being a real person in the future. But I can't, I can't for the life of me remember what episode it was or what story it was. And if I could remember a name, it would be really be really handy but it's not going to happen I think that is amazing especially for a kid who grew up to be like a really skeptical adult it's not like your brother was really reading into it and going remember that imaginary friend I had when I was a kid it must be your current boyfriend Harry or now your husband Harry it was you and your mother who made the connection and went oh that's weird and it is weird like it's really specific to have a really tall man with a ginger beard and blue eyes and to be called Harry, like it's just really specific. And red-haired Harry the Third. It's stories like that that make me think about the idea of like multiverses and 
you know, time not being linear and people being able to move in and out of time in a really almost chaotic fashion. Oh, I love it. How bizarre. And story number two comes from West. Some 15 years ago, I came to occupy the house at King's Cove. From the front entrance, the house was typical New England cottage with old uneven floors that creaked and groaned with every step. The stairwells on the three-level house were barely wide enough for a grown man to walk up without his shoulders touching on either side. There wasn't much unique about the house itself with one exception. The back of the house was almost entirely glass, which faced Boston Harbour. Standing on the sea wall, looking back at the house, the floor-to-ceiling windows almost resembled eyes staring out into the fog. I was immediately struck by the view the first time I entered the house at King's Cove. I greatly enjoyed sitting on the deck over the harbour and watching the giant ships glide silently slicing through the choppy waters. The house itself had a quaint charm about it. There was also a palpable coldness that lingered in the air. At first I attributed that coldness to the wall of glass that barely shielded the bluster of New England fall and the torrent of winter. Wind howled and pounded the glass facing the water like a feral dog scratching at a door for shelter. The house would shake and groan with haunted muffled screams under the weight of the winter winds. The master bedroom was on the second floor. A small roof with tall ceilings that rose with the peak of the roof and two floor to ceiling windows with a small window walk facing the water. The walls boasted a unique and loud bright red colouring which made me cringe every time I entered. This story takes place on a bright October night. I had retired to bed like many nights before and was sound asleep. I'm not a person who often dreams, or at least remembers dreams. I can honestly say that I only remember a dozen or so in my lifetime. On this night I was dreaming, and this dream was something I will never forget. This was the first night I met the witch who resided in the house at King's Cove. I was in a desert city, soaked in moonlight. Sand-coloured stone buildings surrounded a large fire pit, which was circled by stones and filled with large logs. The fire was tall and blazing. I came to be in this town square without context, which is common in a dream state. I scanned my surroundings, trying to make sense of where I was. That was the moment I saw her. Across the fire, but offset enough where I could see her full figure, she stood. Her eyes pierced me as she stared at me. Etched in dark black makeup like an Egyptian queen, she gazed upon me. She wore a lavender cloak which framed her black hair, chiseled facial features, those black framed dark eyes. She had a very Middle Eastern look to her with an olive complexion. She looked to be around 30 to 35 years of age. I stared back at her, struck by her beauty, but also there was a haunting darkness about her. Her eyes were large and black and the fire danced in them. Our eyes locked and I was struck by her emotionless face, which somehow conveyed an air of disdain for what stood before. It was at this moment a growing fear began to swell in my stomach and radiate throughout my body. Under her lavender cloak, her arm began to rise up in synchronisation with my expanding fear. Her hand and forearm began to show her perfect olive skin. It was there that I could see several black characters tattooed on her skin, and large flat black rings which stretched almost the length of her finger. Her fingernails were fiercely pointed and also soaked in flat black, 
She pointed at me, and a fear I have never known until that point in my life consumed me. I awoke from my dream filled with terror. Sleeping on my side, my bed was only separated from the large glass window by a nightstand. As my eyes flew open, I was horrified by the sight in front of me. The woman from the fire, cloaked in lavender, was sitting directly beside me on my nightstand, looking down at me as I slept. I froze, immediately shutting my eyes and then sheepishly opening them again. She was still there. The same vivid features, black nails and dark eyes looking back into mine. She was much closer than in my dream. Every detail more vivid and more pronounced. I wanted to scream. I wanted to run. I wanted to do anything but lay on my side and look at her. I closed my eyes and pinched my arm hard. Wake up, I told myself. Wake up and open your eyes. As I pinched harder, I opened my eyes again. She was still there. Her emotionless face began to crack a sinister slight smirk. My unknown fear from the dreams seemed minor in comparison to what I was feeling now. I was awake and she was real. As I lay there stricken with fear, her features suddenly began to fade. Her body dissipated into a translucent figure, still clearly defined by her silhouette. Her body began to fade into the red walls that were draped in the bright October moonlight, leaving them to closely resemble fresh blood. She finally disappeared through the wall. I lay still for what felt like hours. Checking the time, I noted that it was a little past 3am. I didn't sleep again for the rest of the night. While this incident has stayed vivid for years in my head, I've seldom discussed it with anyone. I am not a spiritual or supernatural believer at this point, and my life experiences had never lent credibility to its existence. On its own, I may even write the entire sequence as an isolated night terror or some similar phenomena. However, this incident would not remain on its own. Unbeknownst to me, this would only be my introduction to the lady that I came to know as the Witch of King's Cove. West, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and assume that you have sent a follow-up email at some point to outline what happened next in this story. Because first of all, I love a well-dressed witch, you know, and her outfit sounds absolutely incredible. From the makeup, to the tattoos, to the rings, to the lavender cloak. I want to know this witch. I want to see this witch, you know. Probably not sitting on my bedroom nightstand in, in, in the middle of the night. I don't want to see her then. Maybe in my dreams, maybe I'd be okay with that. But I don't know if I'd want her that to kind of transcend into my reality. But that sounds terrifying. And then for her to like disappear into the wall... It, it almost feels like, again, like you somehow transcended into another time, another time period. She saw you, you saw her. She was like, no, no, you do not get to follow me into my time period. And then she came and frightened you in her own way, threatened you. I don't know. But either way, I want to hear more about this story. And story number three comes from Trudy. I grew up in the 70s, 80s in a very small council house in the northeast of England with my eight siblings. The house was never empty, always noisy with music and laughter and so, in theory, it was never scary. It was also a new build, my parents moving there three years before I was born and their then six children when the Victorian terraces were evacuated for slum clearance. The first experiences happened to my older sisters. Then the later ones to me and the younger siblings after my father died in the house. My eldest sister was 13 at the time and she was taking a bath when a white lady walked through the door. 
screaming she ran downstairs naked. Now remember that we had a pretty conservative household and there were also two brothers in the mix. She must have been terrified to do such a thing. My dad being old school and a tiny bit cruel made her go and sit in the bathroom with the lights off. Unfortunately, nothing further happened. A few years later, however, two of my older sisters were playing toy telephones. So it was a 70s toy where the phones were attached by a wire stretching between two rooms. One of them was lying on my parents' bed, looking in the long horizontal mirror above my mother's dressing table. As she was chatting away to my sister connected in the other room, she looked up. There was a lady lying behind her in old-fashioned clothing smiling at her. All my other sister heard was her screaming blue murder and they both ran down the stairs though no one had any idea why. Eventually the older ones got married and moved out until there were just five of us living with our parents, four boys and a girl. But I was always scared of that house and never felt at ease with it despite it being new. Then when I was 16, a few days after I started sixth form college, my dad died of a heart attack. He had been ill for several years after having a stroke and was depressed because it left him partially disabled and not able to work. Consequently, he took the decision to stop taking his medication. The doctor warned him he'd be dead in a week and he was. He died in the living room next to his favourite chair and I was the last kid to see him alive. Although I didn't get on well with my dad, it was incredibly sad. But that's when things started to ramp up a little. First on the day of the funeral, I was sat in a chair next to his old one when I was literally encased in a freezing whirl of air. My sisters were saying, what the hell is that? Knowing our dad, we thought that he wasn't going to go peacefully. Then a few weeks after, my mom came running down the stairs shouting at one of my older sisters. How could she smoke in her bedroom? My mom hates smoking and used to make my dad smoke outside in the end because he'd given me bronchitis through passive inhalation. My older sister smoked but never in the house or even in the garden and if my mom found her ciggies she'd snap them. There was no way my sister would have smoked in the house, never mind in my mom's bedroom. When we all went back upstairs confused, mom showed us a box of hankies by her bed. There was a fag burn right through the middle and the room was stinking of smoke. Not only that, but there were three fag burns on my mother's dressing gown. In my heart, my mom knew my sister would neither dare or disrespect her in this way, so we just forgot about it. Some months later, my mom had gone to the shops. We used to let the dog in when she was gone. She hated dogs almost as much as she hated cigarettes. The dog lived in a kennel in the garden and was always delighted to be let in, running around like mad, jumping on the furniture, etc. We had to get him out though before she came back or we were done for. Anyway, this once, the dog decided to go and sit on my dad's old chair. Just as it was hunkering down, it suddenly leapt up like it had been kicked. Then it turned to the chair and began growling and barking. We thought that it simply caught an old whiff of my dad's smell on there. The dog didn't like dad because he would tease it with the glowing end of his cigarette when he was forced to smoke outside. But then, to our horror, the dog started snapping at the ankles of someone unseen following them out of the room. The dog then returned triumphant and resettled in my father's chair. I have no doubt that my father was sat in that chair that day and although he wasn't always the nicest person in life, it felt more like a sense of him looking after us. The only other thing that happened in the house was the sudden smell of smoke which could happen in any room. Other than believing that he may have visited me once at university at a time when I was feeling very stressed, 
I've never had any other supernatural experiences. But I'm glad that my mother doesn't live in that house anymore because it always had a weird energy. Oh, I totally agree that some of them must have really spooked your sister to make her run down the stairs naked at 13 years old. Because when you're 13, like, it's such an awkward time and the last thing that you would want is for anyone in your house to see you naked. And it really seems like these apparitions of this woman or maybe they're different women, I don't know. They appeared at really innocuous times. So it wasn't like spooky nighttime situations. It was when your sister was in the bath and then when your other sisters were playing on their toy phones and when your sister saw her in the mirror. Like it, it just, it's times when you wouldn't expect something like that to happen. And I wonder if your dad was a bit of a tease in life. If that's why the cigarettes happened. So the smell of cigarette smoke in your mom's bedroom would have really annoyed her. And then having the cigarette burns on her items I wonder if that was your dad's spirit's way of being like haha you made me go out and smoke for all that time now I'm going to wind you up with cigarettes and the dog snapping at the ankles of something invisible sitting on that chair seems like the dog got got his revenge and he was like haha chased the spirit out and then sat on the chair so much going on in that house before and after the death of your dad like that's wild and story number four comes from Dallas When my family moved into their current home, my parents said that I would turn and ask, who is that woman standing there? As I got older, I would see this woman occasionally. She wore a white shirt with ruffles on the sleeves and a long black skirt that touched the floor. She wasn't threatening. She simply watched me. I would even see her at my grandparents' house. Once I reached five or six, I no longer saw her. I later found out through a medium that she was an ancestor of mine that was tasked with watching over the children of my family. Many claim children can see ghosts as they're more open to the spirit world. When I was six, I was over at a friend's house. I looked out the window of his kitchen and saw a man standing on the balcony. He had brown hair, sunglasses and wore a grey trench coat. We locked eyes and I shouted, There's a man outside! And he glided across the balcony and vanished. When I turned 18, I got a job washing cars at a car dealership in the historic part of town. Many times I would be the only person in the shop working till midnight. As the night would go on, I would hear someone walking up and approaching me. You could hear the clacking of the grates in the floor as they got closer, but no one was there. The most terrifying moment was when I heard my name called with no one around. It shook me to my core knowing something that wasn't here on this plane knew my name. I like the idea that in the afterlife you might get jobs, you know, that you get tasked with looking after your future generations of your family. Be nice to kind of check in every now and then and be like, oh, what's going on? You're like my great, great, great grandson or my great, great, great granddaughter. And it's also interesting to have a ghost wearing sunglasses. I don't think we've had that before. It's nice to see that the fashion choices are expanding in the afterlife. It's good to know. And I think really in general, if anyone starts calling my name, I'm just going to have to start ignoring it because I can't be dealing with all these stories of ghosts or whatever they are. Calling people's names freaks me out. And story number five comes from Rachel. This story was told to me by my stepdad about 15 years ago. My stepdad is a very serious person and does not believe in the supernatural. He was hired to do renovations at a local theatre, an early 20th century building that had been originally used for retail. Then, in the mid-1920s, it was a funeral home, which lasted until the late 1930s. 
It was then turned into a movie theatre. Dad and his work partner kept experiencing strange occurrences while working on the theatre. Their tools would disappear and reappear in strange places. Lights would turn themselves on and off. They would hear theatre chairs moving when they were the only two people in the building. They brushed it off and joked about it being Bob, a ghost they made up to blame for all the weird stuff. The scariest thing that happened was one day, the owner of the building stopped by with his nephew, who was probably six or seven years old. The little boy went to use the restroom downstairs as they were working on the upstairs bathroom. The building was closed and locked. They were the only ones inside. So they let him into the bathroom alone. And when he came back, he said, Bob is down there and he is hungry. Oh, absolutely not. That kid, I'm sorry, I know it's a living kid, but he would get he would he would get a swift kick out the door, booted out the door, a running, flying kick. No way would I want to know about Bob or his level of hunger. Absolutely not. Imagine being those two men, you've all this weird shit happening, to try and make it kind of palatable while they're there, you go, Oh, it's just Bob, ha 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 and then this little freaky kid comes in and says, Bob is down there. Bob is hungry. No, 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 no. Hungry for what? Hungry for a drop kick in because that's what's going to be happening if this kind of behaviour continues. And story number six comes from Leah. I sent my spooky psych nurse stories on January the 24th, 2021 and recently had an update I wanted to send as it's pretty terrifying. In one of my previous stories, I talked about an experience I had while working as a nurse on a geriatric psychiatry unit where I felt that something followed me home from work. In that story, I swore something was in the car with me on my drive home. At home the day after work, I found a wooden cutting board on my kitchen counter that had been scribbled on as though someone tried and failed to write a message. Despite my scepticism, I had no explanation for it other than a something had indeed latched onto me at work and was trying to communicate. I cleansed my house, invited it back to the hospital and never had another encounter like that. My experience took place in 2019 and I haven't worked at that job since 2020. My friend and nurse who still works there told me a story a couple of weeks ago about a new nurse who now works on the unit, whom I've never met. The new nurse came into work recently looking kind of shaken. My friend asked her if something was wrong and she hesitantly said something strange had happened during yesterday's shift. She wasn't sure what to make of it and initially didn't want to tell anyone as it was so odd. She'd been working with a patient who was nearing the end of her life and was very agitated and distressed, pawing at something in front of her and screaming for it to go away. This alone is unfortunately not that unusual in people at the end stages of dementia. The nurse stopped by the patient's room to try and help her and she said that she saw a black smoky thing with arms reaching towards the patient. Horrified, she quickly said a prayer and told the thing to leave and it did. She was rattled, but finished her shift and got into her car to drive home. She said she felt creepy the whole way home, with prickles on her neck as though someone was watching her from the back seat. She made it home without incident and attributed the feeling to the sad and strange shift she had just finished. The next morning, she woke up and got ready for work. She went into the kitchen and noticed a notepad on her counter that she rarely used and swore it had been put away in a drawer. 
she took a closer look and saw odd, unintelligible scribbles on the paper, as though someone had tried to write something but couldn't manage the pencil. Does that sound fucking familiar? As I mentioned, I don't know this person and I have never met her. She didn't know my story about the scribbles on the cutting board. She was new enough to the unit that she didn't even really know that staff consider it to be haunted. She just felt completely confused and freaked out and confided in her co-worker, my friend, who shared the story with me. To me, it seems like confirmation that there is indeed a something in that unit that can latch on to people and wants to communicate. I don't even know what to do with this information other than be terrified. The nurse who saw the black smoky figure in the patient's room had a strong sense that it was trying to latch to the patient as she was nearing death, which really begs the question, what for? As I mentioned in my original email, the consensus among staff on the psych unit and among nurses in general in my experience is that there are most definitely entities that are drawn to people whose guards are down, whether due to illness, psychiatric issues or being near the end of life. How to battle non-human entities was not a class during nursing school, but it probably should be one. I remember that story of something following you home from the hospital and trying to write you a message. How horrendous is that? Again, it is the curse of validation where you go, oh dear Lord, that did actually happen. That wasn't just my imagination. I wasn't reading too much into something. It did actually happen. And I really don't know what to tell you. I mean, working with patients who are end of life and patients who have Alzheimer's and dementia must be really, really hard work. Because patients with Alzheimer's and dementia, as you mentioned, it's not uncommon for them to see things and hear things. And that must be really distressing. But then to see that shadowy figure reaching out for that patient. And like you said, for what? For what exactly? That is just disturbing. In reality, you wouldn't want to encroach on anybody else's belief systems or you wouldn't want to upset anybody or offend anybody. But that'd be the type of place where I'd be like, get a medium in, get a psychic in, get a Ouija board in, get something in. We need to figure out what's going on here. Says she who likes to think of herself as a skeptic, you know, that is scary as. And we actually have seven stories today. And story number seven comes from Laurie. Years ago, way before the internet was a big thing, yes, I am that old, my mother and I were playing around with a Ouija board. At the time, we didn't think much about it, about how it might be a horrible idea and all of that. It was just a game to us. All of a sudden, the planchette started spelling out OZ, 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 and so on like that for a while. It didn't mean anything to us at the time, and we thought it was weird, but we put it away and didn't think much more about it. When the internet and ghost hunting shows started to become big, we started hearing stories about a demon named Zozo and how it likes to come through Ouija boards. My mother and I both thought that that was odd. Did we just miss the planchette pointing to a Z on the Ouija board before the first O? Like I said, this was before there were a lot of stories about it, so it's not like that story was in our heads as we were playing. It's also kind of odd that I even remember that happening in the first place. Of all things, why would that one Ouija board session from years ago stick out in my head? And what kind of a bunch of letters is that to be randomly strung together? In 2003, I was pregnant. I won't go into the incompetency of the doctors involved, but two days before Christmas, I got a call from one of them telling me my baby may have Down syndrome. But I couldn't get in for an ultrasound to find out for sure until New Year's Eve. I was heartbroken. 
I know if our baby had Down syndrome, we would have loved him or her and it all would have worked out. But hearing such a thing when you're already hormonal and anxious, it makes you think how your baby's life won't be like you thought it would be and how yours won't either. In that week, I prayed a lot. One day, I was kneeling by the bed praying and I got this very clear picture in my head of someone standing behind me, a tall, good-looking blonde man wearing all black. I wasn't scared or anything, just surprised at how clear the vision was. I turned around quickly, but there was no one there. When we went to my ultrasound appointment, everything was fine. The next May, my baby boy Chase was born with no sign of Down syndrome. He is now a tall, good-looking, blonde man, just like in my vision. Was it some sort of a time slip where he just showed up for a second? Was it his soul coming on ahead to tell me that everything would be okay? Was it an angel? If I was going to imagine an angel, it definitely wouldn't be a young man wearing a black turtleneck sweater. I don't know. The experience didn't put my mind at ease. I'm a chronic worrier, and especially so as soon as I found out I was pregnant. But it was definitely an interesting experience that has always made me wonder. Let's address the Zozo demon first. And let's start with your OZ, 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 or Oz, 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 as I would like to say it was. And here's the thing. Your Ouija board demon wasn't a demon at all. It was me. It was me coming through. I say that which without with absolutely no context for anybody and people will be like, what is she talking about? My surname is unusual and therefore it gets shortened to Oz all of the time. So Emma Oz would be my shortened name, which then gets shortened to Oz quite regularly by people in my life. So it was me. It was me coming through on your Ouija board. Didn't know I did it. Didn't know I had the powers to it. But honestly, I'm impressed with myself to be able to go back in time, first of all. And second of all, communicate via Ouija board. It seems very unlike me, but there we are. Also, on the topic of the Zozo demon, this is something that I looked into because I was really curious about doing an episode about the Zozo demon. And I can tell you from the research that I did, the Zozo demon is not... I really don't think it's a thing. I think... This one particular guy who he definitely did a Ghost Adventures episode, which was a really, I thought was a really problematic Ghost Adventures episode and was one of the reasons why I stopped watching Ghost Adventures because there was clearly some serious mental health issues going on there that were being taken advantage of. But he, this guy, uh, sort of basically orchestrated the Zozo Demon and has written all of the lore and legend about the Zozo demon and tried to make it fit in with um, traditional demonology like and I mean demonology is in the theological and mythological sense I don't mean as in you know modern people who like to say they're demonologists with no because they've read a few books you know what I mean that was far more scathing than I meant it to be but we're gonna we're gonna leave it we're gonna leave it as it is because I, I I meant it you know and I just don't think that the Zozo demon whatever whatever it's alleged to be I don't think there's much real weight behind it, to be honest. I think it was orchestrated by that particular man. I can't remember his name. If you look it up, if you look up the backstory of it, I'm pretty sure it was widely debunked as being just the source of it being this one person who then subsequently wrote a lot of books about it. And maybe not books, maybe blog posts, and then ended up on Ghost Adventures. And in your second story, today's episode seems to be an episode that's all about time slips people you know stepping forward and backwards in time to try and bring comfort to people i love it i love it when all those synchronicities happen 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Belinda, West, Trudy, Dallas, Rachel, Leah and Laurie for your seven stories. Remember, the last story came from the 4th of November 2021. If you would like to know anything about Real Life Ghost Stories podcast, you can find out anything that you want to know on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can also get access to loads of extra content on patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories where for two dollars or five dollars a month you get access to a whole host of extra content and also all of the main episodes and mini episodes ad free thank you so much for listening and i'll see you next time 